Welcome to The Dream Season, a podcast for entrepreneurs, writers, and creatives of all kinds looking to finally find some balance in your life so you can get back to enjoying the things you love and even the things you don't love but have to do anyway. I'm your host, Holly Ostara, and together we're going to bring delight, inspiration, and sustainability to your creative flow one season at a time. So let's make this the season of your dreams. everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Dream Season. My name is Holly Ostara and I'm your host. Today, I am really excited to talk to you about how we can adjust from that chaotic summer energy into more of a flow state for autumn. So last week, we entered autumn officially here in the Northern Hemisphere. I, for one, have been ready for it for about three months. Normally, it's really weird because normally I am definitely a summer person, summer and a fall person. I love being warm. I get cold super easily and I hate being cold. So really usually enjoy summer. This summer, not so much. You may have heard me say that it was my chaotic summer of angst. There was a lot going on this summer, just family stuff with my dad and lots of other stuff happening. And it was really hot. It was unbearably hot. I usually don't mind being hot, but even I was hot. And so I'm really glad it's over. I'm glad we're in fall. I'm ready to enter that fall weather. I want to be cozy. I want to wear scarves. I want to see plaid everywhere. I want to smell pumpkin spice latte, but not actually drink it. All of that. So I want to give you some tips for how we can shift from this more chaotic state from the summer where we're just going, going, going all the time into a flow state of mind for the fall. I'll give you a few tips on that. And then after that, I've got an interview with Naya Bajaj. Naya is a yoga therapist and Ayurvedist, and she has a really lovely interview on breath and chaos and flow and how we can use our breath and use practices from Ayurveda and yoga therapy to get into more of a flow state. It's a really great interview. She is so knowledgeable, and I'm actually going to have her back on podcast again for winter. Be excited for that and then stick around so that we can talk to Naya together. Okay, so tip number one, and I'm actually going to paint my nails as I'm recording this because painting my nails is something that gives me a relaxed state of mind. It does definitely give me a little bit of a flow state. So um, taking the time to really focus on getting my nails just right and not painting all over my skin, which is definitely hard when I'm doing it left-handed. I don't know. Something about this repetitive task that I have to focus on really deeply, it definitely helps. So I don't know if painting your nails works for you, and maybe you don't paint your nails, <laughs> but we all have something that we can do that is really enjoyable or really tedious. It can be both directions, right? It could be fun to do or really boring to do and helps you get into that flow state. So if you hear any clinking in the background, that's the bottle, the nail polish bottle. I try to keep that to a minimum as I go through these tips, but there you go. So maybe that's even tip number one. We're, we're going to call that tip number one, paint your nails. 
Next tip is just to take a little break. Take a break. And I know obvious, obvious, but if you're anything like me, manifesting generator in human design, Capricorn, Sun, Taurus, rising, Virgo, Moon, um, what else? ENFP, sometimes ENTP. I just never stop. And that's to my detriment. And it's not that I want to keep going because I definitely don't. I'm also very lazy and wish I could be more lazy, more actively lazy, perhaps. But I have to remind myself that it is an option. And it's not even like giving myself permission to stop. It's more like sometimes it just does not occur to me. Like I'll look at this to-do list and instead of saying, uh, you know what, I might push this off till next week. I will say, okay, what else can I add today? And that's really stupid. So I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to try not to do that anymore. We all need to take breaks, especially coming out of summer and into fall. You need to find some way to create this transition between these two seasons. So if you're anything like us, then you were going, going, going all summer. And maybe at the end of the summer, you even felt like nothing happened. Like you didn't, I didn't go to the beach. Uh, well, I guess I kind of did. I went to the kind of the beach in May, but it was mostly a trip to Charleston with my in-laws, which was very fun. I like my in-laws, so that's not an issue. But um, we were there for, I don't know, three hours and we messed up and went in the afternoon and it was very windy. And so I did not get in the water. I was freezing on the sand. My daughter had a good time, though. So back to the topic at hand, maybe you've even felt like You've been running all summer and you got nothing done. You did nothing. Didn't go to Dollywood. Didn't go to the beach. Didn't finish your Pinterest project. And you're still tired. And you are probably asking yourself, why am I so tired? I did absolutely nothing. That's not true. Because summer is a time of chaos. And chaos is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a thing. It is a neutral thing. Uh, maybe it's even chaotic neutral. And we're all just coming from this state and we need to give our brains a little bit of a delineation so that it knows that the rules are changing. Tip number two, do some breath work. And I am also terrible at remembering to do breath work. It's something I have to actively schedule into my day. And even then, sometimes it's not the first priority on that endless to-do list I have. But it is so important to take a few minutes to focus on some deep, slow breathing, some meditation, guided meditation or individual meditation, because we all need to activate our parasympathetic nervous system to calm our minds down. Keep in mind, we want the parasympathetic nervous system, not the sympathetic nervous system, because the sympathetic nervous system it has no sympathy for you. It is not empathetic. It's not sympathetic. It is the jerk system. That gets you out of the tiger's way and keeps you there. The way I like to remember it is the parasympathetic nervous system is like the paramedics. They're coming to rescue you. So we need to activate the parasympathetic nervous system to calm our mind. Ways you can do that. Humming. That helps activate the vagus nerve. It tones it. And that can help activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Doing some mindful breaths like fox breathing or just counting your breaths or doing meditation focused on your breath. Those are all good things. I know you've heard this advice so many times before. Everybody is going to tell you, breathe deeply, meditate, but have you, have you done it yet? And if you have, keep doing it. And if you haven't, this is your reminder 
that it's actually valuable and you should actually be doing it. Tip number three, each time we go into a new season, it's a great idea to declutter your physical and mental and digital space because clutter can overload your brain. It sees too many things. It creates decision fatigue. It creates mental chaos. Just taking a few minutes at the beginning of each new season or even at the beginning of each new month to tidy up your desk, to tidy up your office, to tidy up your kitchen, wherever you work, wherever you write, helps you to calm your mind and organize your thoughts. So tidy up. I also like to make a to-do list because it helps me organize my thoughts and that helps with mental clutter and digital clutter. If you know the David Allen method of getting things done, he has the two-minute rule for your inbox. If it takes less than two minutes to do, go ahead and do it. If not, put it on a huge list, your brain dump list. I kind of hate that word. We need a new word for that. Uh, Put it on your list and it's your maybe someday list. I think that's what he calls it. And you can either delegate it or keep pushing it down the road or never do it. But the idea is that you want to get anything that's in your head out of your head. If it can be done in two minutes, go ahead and do it. If not, save it for your work time, your production time. And the last tip that I'm going to give you today is to go with the flow. This is a little more nebulous, right? It's a little vaguer. And sometimes we need a little vagary to keep things in the flow. So with fall being the flow season, we need to embrace going with the flow so that we can get into a flow state. Chaotic things happen all the time. Things that you wish didn't happen happen all the time. There is a certain beauty in just accepting it rather rather than fighting it. If you can find that flow within the chaos before you try to control it or before you try to eliminate it, before you try to dominate it, then you may find that you have already mastered it. Letting it flow through you is a much better resistance than trying to resist. It actually kind of reminds me of the litany against fear from the book Dune by Frank Herbert, which is one of my favorite books, and I actually have a tattoo of that. But the litany against fear says, I will not fear. Fear is the mind killer. I will face my fear. I will let it pass through me. And when the fear has gone, there shall be nothing. Only I will remain. That's a really good motto for fall. Let it pass through you. And wear this negative thing, fear, worry, stress, procrastination, where that thing has been, there will be nothing. Only you will remain. And I think I'm going to leave it there because I think that's a great place to leave it. So stay tuned for the interview with Naya Bajaj. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Are you a spirited, spectacular woman with a message, method, or framework that would change lives if only more people knew of it? Are you ready to grow your audience, strengthen your authority, and attract more clients through publishing a book? If so, it's time to bring your book idea to life. As a book coach who specializes in working with passionate, purpose-driven women, I can help you successfully write and publish your first or next book. Through a customized blend of strategy, accountability, writing prompts, and sisterhood, I will guide you to clarify your book vision to attract the right readers, structure your book so that it sends your readers on an exciting heroine's journey that makes them take action when they finish reading, create an energizing writing routine even if you don't consider yourself a writer, maintain focus amidst distractions so that you get it done in half the time, query your book proposal to agents and publishers with authority, or self-publish your book with confidence, 
and make an impact with your book post-launch. Don't let your book stay trapped inside you any longer. Let's get your wisdom out into the world. Visit booksandalchemy.com coaching to learn more about my personalized book coaching services for women who are ready to elevate their reach and impact and get more clients doing it. This is your season. Let's show the world. Welcome back, everybody. Today, I am with Naya Bajaj, and Naya is an internationally accredited yoga therapist and narrative-based medicine facilitator who helps exhausted women eliminate fatigue, manage their weight, and nourish themselves so they can stay focused and present to create the impact they want in the world. She collaborates with change makers from all walks of life to design accessible, purposeful, and nourishing well-being practices that take yoga beyond asana so they can be in a better relationship with their body, breath, and mind to influence healthier and more sustainable relationships with the world around them. That's really exciting. And I'm really glad to have you here, Naya. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here for our conversation. Me too. So when we first connected and you said that you were a yoga therapist, that was something that really stood out to me because I used to do a lot of yoga actually when I was uh, pre-motherhood and I had a lot more time on my hands. I did a lot of hot yoga and I really loved it. And then, and I did always come out of those sessions feeling very like uh, lightened. Does that make sense? Mm. And a lot, like some of the heaviness of the day was just gone. So Yoga itself, of course, has some therapeutic benefits, but tell me what the difference is between yoga and yoga therapy. So this is a great question. I love that you asked it because often people are like, oh, yoga therapist. Is that like, do we sit in child's pose and I just tell you all my trauma the way I would with a talk therapist? <laughs> That's not quite how it works. Um, yoga therapists are folks who are trained to take all of the tools from yoga. So the movement practice, the breath practice, the meditation, the visualization, the mantra, if you're using mantra, and apply them therapeutically to whatever condition someone is showing up with. So if you came to me and said, hey, Naya, you know, my shoulder is really bothering me, then we might explore, you know, what a safe, accessible movement practice feels like. We might explore practices from Ayurveda, including oil application. We might, if it hurts so much that you can't move it, we might explore visualizing movement until it becomes safe and comfortable for you to move. And so we take all of the tools and design a customized practice for you in the moment that you're in that's designed to fit your lifestyle. So if you only have five minutes in the morning, we'll do something that you do in that five minutes that you can feel better, move better, breathe better, and do everything else that you would like to do. Unlike, here's a 60-minute class, it's one size fits all, if it doesn't work for you, good luck which tends mm-hmm. to be how yoga is generally approached. I really like that. When you go to a yoga class, I mean, the, the yoga teacher always has some prepared flow that they've decided on. And maybe they'll say, does anybody have something specific they want to work on this time? And inevitably, everybody's like hip openers. But otherwise, you're just going with what they've already planned for the day. And sometimes it's just not where you are that day. So that sounds really good. And I like what you talk about, about bringing Ayurveda in there too. That's really interesting. Yes, they are sister sciences. And so, and people sometimes forget that. So yoga is sort of the breath and the movement. Ayurveda are the lifestyle practices. So diet comes into it in a big way, but so do all the other body care practices because in Ayurveda, and I love this about Ayurveda, it's very much, if you can eat it, then you should put it on your skin. If you can't eat it, you might want to think about putting it on your skin because your skin absorbs so many things from the environment. And so it's also a way of nourishing yourself. That's really neat. I've never thought about that that way. I'm definitely need to learn more about Ayurveda now then. 
So with yoga therapy, what kind of things have people come to you for therapy for? What do you see yoga therapy being extremely helpful for? Um, I see a broad range of students, um, mostly because I am a female-bodied person, I tend to work with a lot of women. Um, I find when it comes to this sort of practice, people will find people with a shared lived experience. And mm-hmm. I live with chronic pain. I'm still in recovery from eating disorder. So a lot of my students will come to me because we share an experience that way. And so it's not just for, you know, oh, my shoulder is sore. It's folks with mental health conditions who will show up and we'll design practices that are appropriate for whatever it is they're going through as well. But I also work with a lot of either moms or people who are trying to become parents. Um, so folks dealing with fertility issues is an area I do a lot of work in as well. And people have often seen really useful results in those spaces as well. It seems like a lot of fertility issues come up lately and that bodywork practices have been used a lot with a lot of success lately for issues like that. I luckily did not have those issues, but I thought I might because I have PCOS. So I had been looking into things like that and then surprised. I almost feel guilty because I thought I was going to have issues and I didn't. But I mean, sometimes you just get lucky in one area of your life. And I did. It sounds like yoga therapy can actually be helpful for so many things. And we work with a lot of creatives and creative entrepreneurs, and they've got a lot going on in their lives. They're running a business, they're running their lives, they probably have passion projects on the side. And I would love to know what you think makers and creators and writers could how how they could consider integrating a personal yoga therapy practice. So as someone who my other practice is in narrative medicine facilitation, which is if yoga is sort of the movement practice and the connecting with yourself, narrative is where you bring story into the mix. And so you practice oh. all of the skills of narrative competence. So deep active listening, observing your response to the story. So not only your intellectual response to the story that you're being told, but also what your physical response is. And sometimes I think people forget that. You know, you're listening to someone speak and you're like, oh yeah, maybe the front of my chest is a little bit tight because that made me anxious or maybe my jaw got tight. Maybe my shoulders are back up around my ears because that was really disturbing. Or maybe my heart feels really open because that was a lovely story. So tuning back into those sensations as well. And then observing the actions that you're internally prompted to take, as well as listening to the action that the storyteller wants you to take. And that is one half of the narrative practice where we engage with some sort of story. The other half is actually a making practice. Writing is sort of my home base, so I often will default to saying a writing practice, but if I say writing and the rest of this, I mean making. So whether you draw or you dance or you sculpt or you knit, whatever your making practice is. And as a facilitator, the prompt is to make something in response to the story that you just heard, whether it's echoing your own story or creating something entirely new, which can be really powerful for folks who are living with some experience of pain, or I also work with folks who are caring for people um, and so listening to stories of other caregivers and then creating their own story that then they can take to seek support, whether that's from another care provider or just from members of the community. So knitting those pieces together. And the yoga practice, your um, question before I segue off into what narrative medicine is, um, is really powerful in that it gives you a space to ground. So whether, you know, your sh- rapid task switching, which most of us end up doing regardless of what we would like to do in a day, um, you can use your breath really quickly in sort of 35 seconds to sort of clear your head and come back to focus, which can be really useful. But also if you're feeling agitated or 
distracted or you're having trouble focusing on a task at hand once you've switched into it, a quick movement practice can be helpful. Um, some of my students will do some visualization or they'll use things like sounds, whether humming or chanting to help ground their nervous system and move back into sort of that rest, digest, create space as opposed to being in that, you know, borderline fight flight, I need to respond to this because everything's coming at me right now space. Um, so there's lots of tools in the toolbox for that. And actually, before we started recording, I had just come off another uh, call and it took me a minute to kind of get my head right here. And I was like, okay, let me just shake it out for a second. And we both laughed. And it sounds like what we were just talking about are really good tools for like, that was a task switch for me. It was kind of doing the same thing because I was talking to somebody face to face or Zoom to Zoom, but I was also talking about a different topic. So I needed that minute to kind of shake my head around and and I should, maybe I need a visualization for this. That would be cool too. Yeah, and so for some of my students, um, they use things like light as a visualization. So you might sort of switch from one color of light to another color of light that you find soothing as a task switch. Um, some of them will, you know, visualize moving in space, particularly for those of us who are stuck in front of screens all day and don't have the luxury of literally moving to another room for a different meeting or a different call. They might sort of just pause, close their eyes, and visualize literally moving to a different space. That can be really powerful. Um, so lots of ways to play with that. Or some of my students will hum just in between meetings as a way of resetting their nervous system. And this change in sound can be really useful. You know, I think I'll visualize like physically moving myself to the beach or something. What about scent? Because I do use a diffuser and I I have like a bunch of little essential oils and I switch them out sometimes like weekly, but maybe it would be interesting to switch out scents between different tasks too. Yeah, absolutely. And scent is so powerful for memory. Like I was listening to something the other day and it, we, we can recognize over a thousand different scents and our brain can identify almost all of them. And then some of them are also tied with specific memories. So depending on sort of the emotional state you're looking to tap at any given time, you can use scent as a way into that space. In Ayurveda, there, are, there is the notion of sort of different scents for different seasons, and some of them are really logical. So in the fall, you know, warm spice scents are really lovely, cinnamon, ginger, all those things that you guess. Pumpkin spice latte. Yes, essentially. <laughs> Um, in the summer, sort of more cooling scents of so things like jasmine and rose and mint are really popular. Um, in the depths of winter, things like eucalyptus and rosemary can be really lovely as well. And so if that's something you're interested in, definitely reach out to a yoga therapist or an aromatherapist who has training in Ayurveda can also help find those scents. Do you find that you use scent and switch it out throughout the seasons as well? Mm -hmm. I actually do. I have I have a bunch of blends um, because I have cats. I don't use a diffuser just because their their little mm -hmm. bodies are very sensitive to those things. But I do like I'll set my laundry uh, dryer balls with it. Um, so that way my laundry smells like it. And then I also um, in the cleaning products that I use, I might add a very, very small amount. I make our own soap. Well, I mean, I use like a concentrate. It's like branch basics or something. And then I'll add essential oils and I'll change them out through the seasons. And I, I do it for our, our hand soap dispensers. And it makes the house feel really cozy, too. It's a lovely marker for seasonal change, right? So otherwise it can feel, especially if you, you're not changing decor or other visual cues on a regular basis, it can feel like you're just in the same space. It's always the same all the time. Yeah. And there, you're right. Scent is so connected to memory that it can just, you don't have to get all the chintzy decor from home goods. You can just change out the scent of your 
soap or your laundry balls. And we use those little dryer balls too. Those are really great. Uh, and they don't leave the really gross smell that like the Tide ones do. So um, what do you think that people who are considering working with a yoga therapist should know? Um, that you can work with a yoga therapist at any time or stage of life. One of my teachers like to, likes to say, so long as you can breathe, you can work with a yoga therapist. If you can't, if you're having trouble breathing, please call someone now. <laughs> you, might, you might need more immediate assistance than we can provide. But it is a really beautiful complementary practice. It's not an alternative practice, which is what a lot of people think of it as. It's not an alternative to seeing your primary care physician. It's not an alternative to working with a physiotherapist or a chiropractor. Um, so please continue sort of all of your regular healthcare procedures, um, but it's a beautiful complement at any stage in your life. So if you're currently dealing with a situation, we can certainly help you address it. Um, but I also do a lot of work with folks who are looking to prevent conditions. So I've had students come and say to me, oh, you know, diabetes runs in my family and I really, I don't want to end up in that space. How can we prevent it? Or heart disease runs in my family or, you know, three generations of my family have dealt with this type of cancer. Can I 100% prevent it? Probably not, but we can certainly set you on a path that will make it less likely to happen. But also I work with students who are sort of, you know, in end of life spaces. It can be a really lovely palliative practice as well. So you can work with the yoga therapist at any stage of your life, so long as you can breathe comfortably. And even if it's a little bit uncomfortable, we can help you. But if it's worse than that, then definitely find <laughs> someone else to work with. That's funny because I tell people that if you can talk, you can write. Because as a book coach, a lot of people come to me and say, I want to write a book, but I'm not a writer. And um, I don't believe that. I think everybody can write if they can talk. So I love that. If you can breathe, you can do yoga therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's designed to fit your life. So, you know, some of my students are new moms. and They're like, I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. Where am I going to find time to do a yoga therapy practice? And I was like, that's totally fine. We can design a practice that you can do while you're holding your infant. If, you know, that's the thing. That's where your life is at. Or, you know, if you can manage to squeeze up five minutes by yourself in the bathroom, then can we add maybe another two and a quick practice that you can do? Maybe you do that four or five times a day and you're feeling better. So it's really designed to meet you where you are at any given time. And it's adaptive. So it's not you get one practice, that's it. It's as things change, the practice changes to meet you where you are. And... I also, while I love my students, don't want to be with them for their whole lives. So it's also giving you tools that you can take forward to adapt your own practice at it. Well, I was going to ask about that. So how do you think that yoga practice is a lifelong practice? It's just an evolving practice or there comes a point where we've gotten the therapy we need? I think the therapy practice certainly will end when sort of you are in a place where you no longer need it. But the yoga practice is much bigger than that. So the therapeutic practice will address the immediate problem that you show up with, but the practice of you know finding movement that feels safe and accessible, of meditation, of breath work to regulate your nervous system is definitely something you could take forward for the rest of your life. And something that you know some of my students who are parents are like, oh, that's really great that I can regulate my nervous system. I need to teach my kids that so that they don't need to go see someone later in life. They'll just be well regulated from the outset. That sounds like honestly the greatest gift you can give to your children as somebody who's like had anxiety her whole life and, and has only managed to begin to manage it in the last like four or five years. It's, it's certainly something that I would not wish on an enemy. Some of the depths my anxiety can take me. And if I had learned sooner how to manage or live with anxiety so that it doesn't become anxiety, if that makes sense, then that would have been a really great gift. 
Yeah, I feel the same way about eating disorder. I was like, if someone had taught me this, you know, when I was 10, my life would be very different right now. And so if I can offer this to someone who can have a better experience, then I'm always happy to do that. It's why I became a yoga therapist in many ways. I would love to hear more about that because, you know, so much of our, you know, emotional, we'll say trauma is stored in the body, is affected by the body. So how does working with the body help with things that are in a lot of ways more mental? It's a great question because for for things like eating disorder, but a lot of trauma disconnects us from our body. Oh, yeah. just, my, my teachers like to say we sort of live from the neck up because being in the body becomes really uncomfortable. And like whether that's, you know, whether that's assault related trauma or impact trauma for, you know, my students have had concussions. So it feels uncomfortable to be in their bodies because it's not the same body they were, they think they were in. Um, and so the practice really helps you reconnect in a curious way with the body as opposed to in a you know, judgmental, this doesn't feel right, something must be wrong way. It's just like, oh, okay, you know, today I can only loop my arm about this far. That's interesting. Why is that? What did I do yesterday? Is there a pattern over time that I might want to adjust? But it is a very gentle, exploratory, curious process as opposed to um, what can sometimes feel a little bit like a boot camp. Oh, your shoulder doesn't move that far. Let's just keep pushing until it does, <laughs> which could then cause injury. And so for folks who have been disconnected from their bodies, it might be, for some of my students, it feels like coming home a little bit for the first time or maybe after a long period of time. And it's just mm -hmm. very, it's, it's gentle. You can pause, you can take breaks. And the breath is a really powerful tool to regulate the nervous system. So if you are doing something and you find you're sliding into that fight, flight, flee, freeze, please situation, there's the ability to sort of, we like to use a stoplight system. So, you know, if you're, in a, in a space and everything's feeling great, stoplight's green, you keep going. And then as it starts to get uncomfortable, you're like, okay, you know, amber light, I need to slow down a little bit, start to notice. If it's ready, you stop, you step out, you do something else that regulates you. And then when you're ready, come back and you can try it. And so that practice of observation, of sitting with the self, being with the self, even in moments of discomfort, then builds your capacity to be maybe a little bit more uncomfortable and then a little bit more. And so it's very gradual, which can keep the flow regulated and then over time restore function or restore that ability to be in the body if you haven't been there for a long time. So it's a little bit kind of like exposure therapy in a way because you're just exposing. Yeah. And I love what you said about curiosity too and just being curious, especially as creatives, that is, you know, one of our superpowers is just being curious. So to be able to apply it to our own bodies is maybe something we, we've forgotten because it is so much easier to live as you said, neck up or head up and, and sometimes a lot harder to remember that you're not just a floating head, <laughs> that you've got the rest of you too. There are moments, and for, even in my own writing sometimes, you know, where you're trying to describe something, you're like, yes, okay, you know, I only, I can, I only have visual markers for this. The more time you spend in your body, the easier it is to observe those sensory cues. So then, you know, the more time I spend, I'm like, oh yeah, no, that did have a smell, right? That space did have a smell. Or this is what I want that space to smell like so that when my reader is reading it, it will evoke this kind of memory. You know, is there a sound? And so the more time you spend in your body, the easier it is to tap into those things. So is there a temperature? Is there a texture that I want to add to this scene that will make it a richer experience for my reader? So you were saying that yoga therapy helps us be better writers. That's what I'm hearing from you right now. It certainly can. You know, if you're very tuned into your body, it can still help you if you're, you know, sitting for long periods of time and your shoulders are sore, we can definitely help with that too. 
Um, but if as a writer, and I, I have this struggle as someone who doesn't spend a lot or has not spent a long time in my body because it's been an uncomfortable place to then be like, oh yeah, if I'm writing this scene, there should be something in the background, right? Is there a texture? Is there a scent? Is there something that will help my reader plug into this moment better than, oh yeah, the walls were green, which is nice, but you know, sometimes you need more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, can I ask you about your writing? I'd love to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm sort of, my writing is mostly corporate and academic. Um, so there's not a lot of scope for what does the space smell like. Um, but I do, I have been dabbling with the idea of one sort of a memoir based piece um, that has been in my head for a long, long time. Um, part of it is food writing. Part of it is sort of moments where those foods were important. Um my family ran a restaurant for many, many years. So food is also a big Ooh. part of my life. Uh, okay. And so this, those pieces knit together. And then the other one is a hilarious multiverse that's been sitting in my head that I think needs to be on paper, even if it's only so I can read about it. Oh, I want to read it. <laughs> Once I get something down on paper, I will send it to you. Okay. Yeah. I, well, I mean, clearly I'm a big book nerd. I love books. I love when people write I want to see everybody write a book. I want to read your book. And I I definitely want to see, because I think that I will notice a difference reading your scenes because you are so embodied. Yeah. You can, you can tell when writers are like, oh yeah, I'm comfortable in my body or like I'm tuned in to what this feels like. Cause I find the descriptions are just better. You know, now I'm going to have to start every one of my coaching sessions with yoga therapies (laughs) with my clients so that they can write better scenes. It can be really powerful. And it's, I, I do, like, I run um, a writing and yoga retreat here in Toronto for any Toronto listeners who want to come by in person, because it's one of those things that's best done in person. It doesn't mm-hmm. translate as well over Zoom. Um, and we start with a practice, and then we do some narrative medicine pieces, and people find that they're better able to tap into their expressiveness, because one, their nervous systems are balanced, but also they've tuned into all of their senses. It's fantastic. It's really fascinating. What, when do you offer it? The writing workshops are offered spring and fall, uh, once a month. So we are the last Sunday of every month. Come hang out with me for two hours. We do a practice and then you leave usually with two or three pieces of writing that you can then either never look at again if it's too disturbing because sometimes the prompts bring up all kinds of things or Mm -hmm. people have taken those, they've built them out. Um, They tend to be a little wellness focused. So I have students who will take them to their physician or to their therapist and then further unpack those pieces as well. So it can be a really powerful healing tool. Yeah. And I think we all have point places in our lives right now where we could all use a little healing just collectively as a a whole world, a whole societal world. I love this and I can see so much value in it for so many people, especially creatives and just people who, well, and really anybody. So you say you do your yoga therapy uh, retreats in the spring and fall. Are either one of those your favorite season? I like them because they're transition seasons, um, but I definitely prefer the fall. Um, Here in Toronto, spring is very wet and very muddy and kind of gross. Yeah, (laughs) I know there are people who love it and I enjoy aspects of it, but I like the crispness of fall. I like the dryness of it, um, that response. That does very well for me. I used to live across the lake from you in Rochester, New York. (laughs) And we got lake effect. I don't think you get lake effect there in Toronto, do you? Oh, we do. oh, you do? Oh, okay. I thought the direction of the wind just made it more miserable in Rochester, but it could have just been me just living within the misery and saying, nobody can have it as bad as I have it here, but clearly you guys do. But yeah, um, spring was 
was definitely wet down in Rochester, but fall was really pretty. But we only had like two weeks of fall and then it started snowing. So fall here lasts a little bit longer. If we're lucky, we'll get six weeks of just like beautiful colors. Yeah. Um, it's all, they've already started turning here, the leaves, which is really, <gasps> yeah. It's not even September yet. There's like orange peeking through in the canopies, but it's beautiful. And fall produce is also some of my favorite produce and a big sort of squash fan. Um, so that also makes me really happy. And harvest yeah. season. Harvest season is lovely. I love harvesting. And and I consider fall to be the season that we actually have the most creative energy and most flow, too. Do you find that, that that's true for you and your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In both yoga and Ayurveda, fall is sort of a season of turning in. So tapping in, reflecting, thinking about all of the things that have happened in the spring and the summer where, you know, you've done all this planting, you've done all of this growth. What are you taking forward? What are you setting aside and letting go and preparing for sort of a season of deeper reflection? Winter is a season of story. Fall is a season for reflection. I love how universal that our inner knowing or innate sense of seasons is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so fall is sort of the gathering, the pulling together, the looking at, reflecting, um, and the preserving also, right? What do you, what did you make that you really want to keep? Or what did you think about that you want to take forward? You know, it's that, it's that lovely, lovely time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's also a great time to sort of come together. The energy is a little less frenetic. There's a little less, I find the summer is very high pressure. It's like that you must do because you only have good weather for so long, at least here. And yes. before, you know, it gets too cold to go outside. And so fall is really like come together, gather. It's starting to get a little bit cold. So you can be cozy. You have the excuse not to do as much, which can also be really nice as opposed to the frenetic nature of summer. Yeah, summer is impossible for work. I mean, just trying to work in the summer is just not the best decision you could make because there is all that frenetic energy. There's just too much going on. And trying to work during the summer, it just makes you feel like you're always behind and you can never catch up. But if you just let go for a little while, the energy will come back around and fall and you'll be able to pick up where you left off and you won't have that feeling of always being so behind, so exhausted and so overwhelmed. Yeah, summer can be a really awful season for burnout. Um, as someone who's lived through multiple rounds of burnout in my life, I find summer is the reason is the season I deliberately choose to rest because mm-hmm. uh, if I don't, I set myself up for a really terrible fall and winter because I just I have no energy. Yeah, well, I mean, it takes us all this time to to uh, be aware, and especially I think I think as a society, we're kind of coming back especially us gals we're trying to kind of reconnect with what's around us more and I think it's I think we're gonna have a shift I hope I hope a shift in the right direction soon yeah the seeds are there it's you know the question of are they are they being appropriately nourished to grow but I think they are there's definitely work happening in a lot of very wonderful spaces Mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of really great work going on in the spiritual wellness and emotional wellness and mental wellness spaces and it's really it's really great to see like there's so much good going on that I can't keep up with all of it and and I want to but I'm like no don't do it you can't you're going to overwhelm yourself with all the stuff that's supposed to make you not overwhelmed so um definitely if Everybody listening, just make sure that you do find a wellness practice that works for you. And maybe yoga therapy is the, is the one. Do you find that your yoga therapy practices change throughout the year? It changes season to season. Um, yeah. 
and then it over time also you know as my body changes as my mind changes i need different things so you know in my 20s it was a very physically active practice because that's what my body needed as i get older and you know i don't i don't need to do that much i do need you know movement because i sit a lot of the day so it's mostly to maintain functionality and mobility versus and to and to build some strength because that is important i would like to keep my bullets strong as i get older but the movement practice has definitely shifted it is slower it is more methodical it is more attentive as opposed to that you know must burn off everything um, attitude i had in my 20s my meditation practice has gotten deeper i'm able to sit comfortably for longer so my breath practice has also changed but it also yeah changes season to season sometimes week to week do you think it changes with the menstrual cycle Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There are sort of very definitive pieces around that where, you know, if you are on your cycle, the instruction is really just to rest and let your body do what it's going to do naturally. That is the best possible thing you can do. And then as your energy level changes, the activity level of your practice will change as well. I really love that. If you had one tip for somebody who wanted to start off with a yoga therapy practice, what would it be? other than finding your local yoga therapist, which yes. is uh, probably my <laughs> primary suggestion, um, it would be to chat with a few yoga therapists, to be totally honest. Because like finding a talk therapist, you want someone that you can build trust with. Because the practice is, I'm going to offer you a bunch of suggestions. You're going to test them out. We're going to come back together and figure out what works. So it should be someone that you feel safe sort of testing with and sharing with, as opposed to, you're going to give me something, I'm going to implement it, and that's going to be it. It is very much an exploratory journey. So find someone that you feel safe with, find someone you feel comfortable with that you know maybe shares your lived experience so they can better provide suggestions to you would be, would be what I would. And also understand that it is an exercise that will require some curiosity. You're going to explore uncomfortable stuff will come up, like sort of any type of therapy. Just be prepared for that. Because I do have students who will show up and be like, oh, yeah, no, I just wanted to do some movement. Great, we can do that. But stuff will come up. So please prepare um, to, to deal with that in a way that's helpful for you. Yes. Be prepared for that shadow work, huh? Mm-hmm. It comes up in all kinds of ways. We all have a lot of it that's going to bubble up eventually. So better to take it gently. Yes. And be curious. Be, yeah, it's going to happen. It's easier if you're curious about it as opposed to, oh, God, this is happening. I'm going to avoid it and tense up. And then we just have to undo all of that before we get back in. Oh, that's a good reminder. Because <laughs> I'm definitely one of those people. <laughs> yeah, that's instinctive, right? This was uncomfortable. My body is now going to hold all of this tension, which changes how energy flows in the body. It changes how you breathe, too, right? That tightness mm-hmm. in your diaphragm, which then impacts your nervous system and everything in your life. So that, that cultivation of curiosity and gentleness and observance, right? Being able to observe without being able to react um, is in some ways the core of the problem. I would argue can make you a better writer too. Oh, that's true. Yes. I mean, clearly every creative needs to be doing this one way or another. And in, in a way that works, right? So also finding a therapist who gets that and is able to be like, oh yeah, you know, this is your life. Here's what fits. And any sort of well-trained yoga therapist will be able to do that. How do you know that you found a good yoga therapist? What are we looking for? So accredited yoga therapists are the folks you should be looking to work with. And if you look, their their signature or their branch to have the letters C-I-A-Y-T after them. That is an indication that they are credentialed with the international body that certifies yoga therapists as opposed to, you know, a psychotherapist who has 200 hours of yoga training. 
which is different. And you know, great mm-hmm. if you want to work with a psychotherapist, but they are not a yoga therapist. That's really great. This has been a really lovely chat. I would love to be able to tell everybody where they could find you online and if they want to connect with you. Yeah, so the, probably the best place to find me is on my website, which is www.holisticyogatherapy.ca because I am Canadian. I don't know where <laughs> okay. I will take you and it will not take you to me. Or you can find me on Instagram at Holistic Yoga Therapist. Those are probably the two best ways to get to me. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today, Naya. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Dream Season. I've got just one thing to ask of you. Please, please, please leave a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. All you need to do is select a star rating, and I hope it's five stars, but please be honest, and tap, type, or even voice to text one or two sentences about your experience listening, something you learned, or something you loved. This is the single most important thing you can do to help this podcast succeed. And as a thank you to anyone who leaves a review today, I will send you a free audio guided visualization for each season, so you can find your creativity no matter the season. Just email a screenshot of your review to hello at booksandalchemy.com and I'll send you the visualization. Thank you again for listening and remember, no matter the season, remember to dream.